Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. God bless technology. Uh, Maybe I'm experiencing what the Russians are experiencing right now. (laughs) A little technological blackout. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 3 as we continue our study in this amazing book. In chapter 1, we saw this whole dynamic of a crisis in Bethlehem, a great famine, and it centered around this family, Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And in the midst of this crisis, they did exactly the wrong thing. They fled. They leaned on their own understanding and left the place God wanted them to be. And they tried to fix their own problems rather than to rely on God. And as we continued, they, things didn't get any better for them, did they? In fact, they got worse. And things continued to get worse until Naomi came to the realization that no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, I need to get back right with God. I need to come back to that point of blessing. And that's when things started to fall into place in a most beautiful way. And then in the second chapter, we saw that uh, God not only brought them back to Bethlehem, but he was concerned to provide for the needs of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. So when they came back to Bethlehem, they had nothing. They were destitute. But God, working through his invisible yet powerful hand, working in that supernatural yet natural way, provided abundantly for both Ruth and for Naomi in a material way. Now, you know that that's not the end of the story, right? Because even though they were now kind of set materially and financially, they had all the money that they needed in the bank account, so to speak. But what they didn't have was security. And we all need security, don't we? To be anchored with a sense that we are taken care of that we're not alone in this world, and that there's someone who will watch out for us. And it was that great sense of security that Ruth was still lacking in her life. And God was going to address that in this beautiful story that we have in front of us this morning. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you now Boaz whose young women you are with is he not our relative in fact he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor so the time of harvest is over Ruth and Boaz have now been around each other for many weeks and every day she went out into the field to harvest she was associated with all the workers but she was still a gleaner 
She just had special privileges that had been given to her by Boaz himself. And even though Boaz had shown a special care and a concern for Ruth, you still can't really say that Ruth and Boaz were dating. At least not in the way that we would normally think of as dating. But something wonderful was developing between the two of them. Now, Naomi, every good, uh, uh, ever the good mother-in-law, so to speak, was concerned for Ruth's future security. And verse 1 says, shall I not seek security for you? And Naomi knew that the best way Ruth could be taken care of is if she was married. So, as we're about to see, Naomi suggests Ruth do something rather, um, let's say, unconventional. (laughs) She says, Ruth, I want you to go to Boaz and suggest that he marry you. Now, that seems a little bit forward, doesn't it? It's kind of the, you know, working it the wrong way. I mean, shouldn't it be the man that proposes to the woman? Well, friends, I want you to understand something important here. This was all based on a very important legal and traditional custom in ancient Israel. And it was all rooted in this particular custom of marrying a widow from a relative. Now, let me explain. If you remember from last week, Boaz was described with a special title. Do you remember what that was? Goel. It means kinsman or redeemer. And they were this relative that was like a special representative or chieftain over the family. So in other words, Boaz, as this Goel, had the responsibility to his deceased heir Meaning, Ruth had the right, then, to appeal to carry on the family name. So, she goes to Boaz, I'm coming to you on behalf of your deceased relative, Elimelech. You know, he has no way of continuing his line or his name in Israel. So, you have the responsibility to perpetuate that. Boaz, you're obligated to marry me and give me children. So understand that Boaz's obligation was to Elimelech, not to Ruth. And if he chose not to fulfill that, then the line of Elimelech would perish. And God was very interested in perpetuating family in Israel, and he would even go through what we might think are strange lengths to do it. So please understand, this wasn't plotting and scheming by Naomi and Ruth. They weren't hunting down a reluctant Boaz and tricking him into marriage. It wasn't kind of like a gold-digging expedition or a man trap, so to speak. It was based on the custom found in the Law of Moses and the traditions of that day. But please don't miss the goal here. And the goal was security for Ruth. And Naomi knew that Ruth should be able to find that in a good, godly marriage. 
So now Ruth is going to make her appeal, and Naomi instructs her. Verse 2 says, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, you may ask yourself, like, why would Boaz be out uh, working at night? Why would he be spending the night sleeping in the barn on the threshing room floor? Well, because in that time, in the time of the judges, it was a time of anarchy. And marauding bandits and tribes would come through Israel and they just loved to steal this hard-earned grain from the farmers. And so Boaz was merely there as security for the crop to stand by what was his. Well, verse 3, Naomi continues her instruction. She says, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but there is a lot of feminine wisdom right there. Make yourself clean. Make yourself pretty. Put on something that smells good. Like Put on your best dress. Oh, yeah, and by the way, don't bother him until he's done eating his dinner. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of get a kick out of that. Like, don't bug me when I'm having my, my steak or my dinner. I, let me finish. I thought it was funny. <clears throat> anyway, so when all of that was done, look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So this was the plan. At the appropriate time, Naomi instructed Ruth to go to the threshing floor area, to uncover the feet of Boaz, as he slept and then lie down at his feet. Now, some people inaccurately look at this gesture as being sexually provocative. And they try to paint this in an appropriate way as if Ruth was offering herself to Boaz. But in the, that time, in that culture, in that day, this was an act of total submission. This was understood to be the role of a servant to lay at his master's or at their master's feet and to be ready for any command of their master and for Ruth to go and gently uncover the blanket and lay down at his feet was a powerful way to say, I respect you, I trust you, I put my fate in your hands. But friends, I don't want you to lose sight of the bigger picture here. Ruth came to claim. She came to claim her right. And I really want you to think about that for a moment here. It was Ruth's right to ask Boaz to marry her. It was Boaz's obligation and responsibility to marry her. 
But did you notice she doesn't come in with that law from Leviticus 19? She doesn't come in just, you know, firing that like a machine gun and insisting that he marry her right now. She doesn't come in demanding her rights. No. Naomi wisely counseled Ruth not to come in as the victim demanding, but rather as a humble servant trusting in the goodness of her kinsman and redeemer. And by coming in humbly, she's saying to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, and I put my fate in your hands. And friends, that is why Naomi said to Ruth in verse 4, he will tell you what to do. Now it would be easy to look at this midnight rendezvous, so to speak, on the threshing floor, and conclude correctly, I might add, that this had the potential or it was a recipe for disaster. There are so many different possibilities that run through my brain. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Boaz had a reputation of being a man of noble character, of godly character. Both Naomi and Ruth had seen how he treated his employees, how he treated the poor, how he treated his family. They had experienced his special care for them. They had been observing him closely for this entire harvest. And although there was the possibility for disaster, Ruth stepped out in faith because she knew Boaz was a good and godly man in whom she could confidently submit. And God rewarded that, didn't he? And friends, I just want to stop and pivot for just a moment, if I may. I believe that there are husbands and wives thinking about this dynamic right now. I can almost guarantee you that there are husbands listening in and thinking, I wish my wife would submit to me like uh, like Ruth here. Uh, you know, maybe not the lying down at my feet part. That's just kind of weird. But, you know, that whole spirit of it. I, I wish that I, you know, I had this kind of hard submission in my life. Okay, husbands, let me ask you something plainly here. Are you the kind of good and godly man who is filled with integrity? Are you trustworthy and worthy of respect like this man Boaz was? Am I? Men, stop wishing your wife was a Ruth and step up and be a man like Boaz. Look, I also know that there's some wives that were wishing that their husbands were more like Boaz. I wish my husband was more kind and generous and noble. and I, I wish my husband was more loving and respectful and appreciative of me. Ladies, stop wishing that your husband was a Boaz and just be a woman like Ruth. Can you imagine what would happen if all the men decided to commit to living in the example of Boaz? 
And all the women committed to follow this example found here in Ruth. It would be absolutely glorious. It would change your marriages. It would change your families. It would change our church and our community. But the big trap here is waiting for the other to make the first move. So Ruth, the instructions of Naomi, and let's see what happens here in verses 6 and 7. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. Now I hope the movie's running in your head here. It's dark outside and Boaz is on guard now. He's got his sword or his knife beside him and he's just finished his meal. His heart is cheerful. He's probably now a little bit tired, you know, from, you know, a full stomach. So he goes down to lay at the end of a pile of grain and dozes off. Well, Ruth, she goes down to the threshing floor and did all that Naomi had told her to do. She came in softly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse 8 says, Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So he's sleeping sound when suddenly he awakens abruptly. And he flips himself all over only to find that there's somebody there. And it's a woman. And you can just picture him kind of grabbing his sword and he cries out, Who are you? To which Ruth responds, It's Ruth and I'm coming to claim what is rightfully mine. Uh, no. <laughs> she says, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. What an incredible scene. Ruth comes in humility saying, Boaz, you're my Goel. You're my kinsman. You're my redeemer. And right here on the threshing floor, she's asking him to take her in marriage. Not the most romantic place to propose but <laughs> but what a beautiful picture that is of the marital relationship you come spread your wing over me and cover me and there's something in that which appeals to a woman isn't there there's something in there in, in her that wants to be protected by a noble man not because she's incompetent or can't do anything. That's not the point at all. It's because she needs someone in this world looking out for her and her needs. And in the same way, the man needs to look out for somebody in a special way. Though it's just cover me over with your wings. And it's such a beautiful imagery. Look at verse 10. I love Boaz's response here. He says, 
Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, I find that to be a very interesting statement by Boaz, don't you? He's basically saying, Ruth, I'm surprised you want to marry me. Like, I'm an older guy. I figured you'd want a younger man. You know, and it shows us that he wasn't one of those kind of proud, every woman wants to have me kind of guy. Right? But it also shows something else about Boaz. You see, we have covered, you know, a couple of times now this idea of him as Goel, right? And Ruth had every right under the Mosaic law and customs to demand that Boaz marry her and give her children. But that's not the entire story. As the Goel, Boaz also had the right to force upon Ruth. Yet he did not. He could have said, this is a woman I want. And I have her by right. Because I have that responsibility to my relative. But he was kind enough to not act as the go-well until she desired it. But then again, doesn't this show us something wonderful about Ruth? It shows us that her attraction to Boaz was not based primarily on his image or status. Her attraction to Boaz was based primarily on respect. Boaz, I love you because you're a man I can respect. You may not be the youngest guy around. You may not be the best looking guy around. You may not even be the richest guy around, but Boaz, I respect you. And believe you me, Boaz saw that. And now he says in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, this isn't the wedding ceremony, (coughs) but it is kind of an engagement ceremony. And Boaz basically says, I'll do it. I'll marry you. Now, can you imagine how Ruth's heart felt at that moment? Yes, this man is going to come. He's going to protect me, and he's going to be there for me, and he's going to be my security. But there's one phrase I want you to notice in verse 11. It says, All the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. You know, we're not told anywhere in the book of Ruth about her appearance. We don't know if she was beautiful or not physically, but we do know that she was beautiful inside. Her virtue shone so that all could see it. And the very fact that Boaz highlights it here in verse 11 tells us that Boaz was attracted to Ruth primarily because of her character. He called her a ha yil woman in Hebrew, 
which is, means a woman of moral strength and integrity. What a tremendous love story, right? You have a mighty man of valor coming together with a genuine woman of virtue, and God's brought them together into this beautiful relationship. The wedding bells are going to be ringing for Ruth and Boaz. All we need is verse 12 to say, and they lived happily ever after, right? Well, not so fast. Look what verse 12 says. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Wait, what? <laughs> um, well, now that's a bit of a plot twist, isn't it? Boaz was a close relative of Elimelech. But there was another one in the family, and although he is never named in the book, he was actually a closer relative than Boaz. So what he's saying here is, yes, Ruth, I will marry you, but he must turn you down first. If he exercises his right, I can't get in the way. Now, there's something absolutely amazing about that. Boaz was going to do this right. He was not willing to cut any corners. He wasn't willing to damage his integrity just to do this. You know, it's funny when people fall in love today. Instantly they think that they can cut corners to pursue love, right? They can cut corners in morality. They can cut corners in their integrity. They can cut corners in their walk with the Lord. All for the sake of that love. But my friends, please notice, Boaz was not willing to cut any corners. Ruth, I want to marry you, but if it doesn't happen the right way before God, it doesn't happen at all. So look what he says in verse 13. He says, stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it, but if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Isn't that great? Listen, Ruth, here's the problem. You're in need of security and you've made your appeal for a goal to marry you. Okay, great, Ruth, here's the solution. Tomorrow you're going to get married. We just don't know to who yet. It's either going to be me or this closer kinsman redeemer, this other Goel. So how's it going to happen? Well, verse 14 tells us, So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize her. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor and he also he said bring the shawl that is on you and hold it and when she held it he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her then she went into the city now there's two things that i want you to notice here in verse 14 don't let anybody know this now, please don't think this, that this is because it was some scandalous rendezvous. You know, 
They're out at midnight on the threshing floor. That's not the reason why he said it. The only reason he said it was so that he could control the approach with the other Goel. I want to manage this well so that we can have this turn out in the best way. So mum's the word for right now. Second of all, he gave her grain in verse 15. Now Boaz was a proper gentleman. He wasn't going to send Ruth home empty-handed. And because he didn't have any flowers or chocolates or anything to give her, he gave her six handfuls of grain. Now, it does say in my Bible, and probably yours, it says six ephahs of barley. Now, it's italicized, which means it was added. And I think six handfuls is more accurate. Let me tell you why. Because six ephahs of grain is 33 gallons of grain. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't think a shawl's going to hold that. Just me. So I think it's more accurate to say that it was six handfuls. So I think this was meant as a little gift to send home to tell Naomi. Verse 16 says, When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, and she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day boaz wasn't going to rest until this situation is fixed that's going to happen that very day now this was a time of considerable anxiety for ruth as you can imagine she had claimed her right to marriage and by the law of moses she would be married that day in bethlehem and we know who the bride will be we just don't know who the groom will be. And if you want to find out, tune in next week for the conclusion in chapter 4. But at the beginning of this chapter, Ruth had a very uncertain and insecure future. She had no security in her life, but by the end of the chapter, her security is assured. She's going to be married, and hopefully to the right guy, my wife said I'm not supposed to give a spoiler alert, so no spoiler alert. But this morning as we close, I want you to see that God took her from insecurity to full security. And he wants to do that, say, he wants that same thing to happen in your life and in mine. And the first thing that we notice is security is not found in possessions. By this time, Ruth and Naomi would have had a pretty good bank account. But it still wasn't enough to give them security. Second of all, security does come from a special person. That person in Ruth's life was going to be Boaz. But it's still, um, but that person in your life and in mine is Jesus Christ. 
Last week I shared how Boaz is like Jesus. He's a good man, a godly man. He's a man who reaches out to foreigners and outcasts and he gives them security. And you and I are like Ruth. We're foreigners, outcasts. We need help. We need provision. We need security. And Boaz was that special person to Ruth for three reasons. Because of his office or position. His kinsman, redeemer, Goel. Because of his resources is another reason. Because he was a man of wealth. He had resources available. And three, because of his love for her. Boaz loved Ruth. But the third point, security only comes when we put our faith in that special person. Ruth took a huge gamble of faith to go to that threshing floor at midnight, didn't she? She had to trust that Boaz was everything that he represented himself to be. She had to have tremendous faith in Boaz. And friends, you and I have to do the same thing with Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is secured in his office. He's secure in his resources. He's secure in his love. But you will never enjoy it unless you put your faith in him as a special person. Fourth, security only comes when we make a bold appeal to that person. Listen, for a woman in that culture to go to a man and say, I think you should marry me, that's, that's a bold appeal. But the same thing goes for us. We need to make a bold appeal to Jesus. Jesus, I put my faith in you now. Jesus Christ, you be my security. Jesus, I need you to be my rock. I boldly put my faith in you. And then we can find security because just like Boaz did not refuse Ruth, I can tell you unequivocally that our kinsman redeemer Jesus will never deny any appeal that's made in faith. And this provides us with such a beautiful transition into our time of communion because this security that Jesus offers to you and me is presented to us because he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for our sake. What Jesus did on the cross means that he can righteously be our security. He can do it because he paid the penalty. All that my sin deserved, the guilt, the shame, the punishment was put on Jesus. And he has satisfied the righteous requirement of God and of divine justice on the cross. So you see, Jesus is our Boaz, our Goel, our kinsman our Redeemer. But friends, we don't come to the table as beggars. We don't come to His table even as servants. We come to His table as family and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Not because of our righteousness, but because of His. 
And even though he has given us the right to be his son or his daughter, Scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. We don't come to his table with an entitled heart, but with a grateful heart. Father, as we come to your table, Lord, we're reminded of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We're reminded of your broken body. We're reminded of the blood that you shed. Giving up your life. An innocent man. For the sins of the world. For my sins. We want to stop and we want to remember that. We want to say thank, thank you for that. For being our our kinsman, our redeemer. For showing us an incredible grace. Unmerited favor. Getting something beyond our wildest dreams. We didn't deserve anything, Lord, and you gave us way beyond. And yet you didn't give us what we so richly deserved. You took that upon yourself. And so, Lord, now as we partake of these emblems, Lord, help us to do that with a grateful heart, knowing that you did that because you love us, because you can. <laughs> You're the only one who can forgive us. You're the only one who can give us salvation. And so, Lord, with gratitude, we come to your table for what you've done for us.